to CMIO Podcast, a show devoted to those who are making healthcare easier for others. Whether you're involved with informatics, analytics, or new technologies that make the lives of our practicing clinicians better, this show is for you. My name is Dr. Mark Weissman. I'm a practicing physician and a CMIO and the host of CMIO Podcast. And today I am fortunate to have with me Dr. Eric Lee. And Eric is from Altamed, which is a federally qualified health center in California. And he's the medical director of clinical informatics and has been involved with informatics and, and EHR implementations for years, doing both uh, Epic and Cerner. And I think we're going to have a great conversation today about what's the role of a provider informaticist or CMIO as we go through this journey of getting that EMR in place. We'll talk about some of the pitfalls. We'll talk about where I think CMIO should be more involved but now aren't always included and we'll, we'll go from there. It may end up being a two-part series, we'll see, based upon, we think there's so much information here. Uh, Eric, welcome to the show. Thank you, Mark. It's wonderful to be here and an absolute pleasure to listen to your podcast. Uh, so I'm happy to contribute and give back in whichever way I can. Thank you. I, I really appreciate that because that's what this is about, is just trying to create the content that's really that hands-on practical stuff that you can't get from the textbooks, you don't get from your board review course. And I think this topic of yours here of implementing is really important. So. Let's start, and I guess let's go all the way to the beginning here. Before the, the decision has been made that we're going to lock in with a specific vendor, what does that look like, and what roles have you played, or what roles do you think you should have played during that process? Uh, so, yeah, it's different between whether you're a provider or physician just who's an end user of the system versus all the way up to your CMIO and you're expected to uh, play an integral role in the selection process. So I've done it both ways. Previously, when I was with the state of California, I was a physician who was not involved at all with establishing who you're going to go with in terms of a vendor, how you're going to go about the selection process. I had no knowledge of project management or project speak. And quickly learned that over time after uh, implementation and kickoff. Over time, I think with after that implementation, I transferred over to Ultimate, or I switched jobs to Ultimate Health Services, and my uh, predecessor um, had started the selection process in the, of choosing an EHR vendor. It, had I been here I, I would have been able to play an integral role in listening to the different presentations of the, of the various EHR vendors that are out there and been able to, to put them through their paces while um, viewing their demos and then having the higher level discussions in terms of what are your business requirements, how many of them do they meet, what are the pros and cons of each vendor, and then developing a, a scorecard of sorts. This is really difficult to do. I was part of our EHR selection as a physician and yes, the vendors come in, they give some demos and it looks great. We were on paper at the time, so keep in mind we had nothing to compare to. So the first EMR we're really laying our hands on, For most providers now are on EMRs and they're just evaluating new 
changes that are coming to them or they're upgrading to a different system. So I think they have something to compare to. But I had the feeling, my sense was that the decision was kind of already made and they were getting physician buy-in because it was a box they had to check. What's your thoughts on that? Is, is it really that they're getting physician input or is it they don't want the physicians to say they didn't have a voice? Tell me about that. I think it could be, it, it goes both ways and it depends on the environment you're in. I think with the state of California, I wasn't involved in the process at all, but I think there was a physician leader who was intimately involved, but it also depended on which vendors were willing to come and submit an RFP or a request for a proposal to the state of California to go through that process. I think with Ultimate Health Services, I know before my time, before I joined here, the providers were um, growing increasingly dissatisfied with the, with the former EHR and really wanted to change uh, to something else. And there was a clear-cut choice coming from the providers. Um, it was a matter of going through the selection process to make sure you're not leaving any other stones unturned. And it ended up being that the best uh, vendor for this organization agreed with what the providers had been clamoring for. In our case, it was Epic. And that's, it, it was a mutually, I guess, agreeable decision for all parties involved here at Ultimate. So what does that look like? Is it that, okay, I feel as a doctor, I am lacking this functionality. I mean, they all have med lists. They all have problem lists. They all have notes. So how is that decision made? How are you teasing out that EMR A is better than EMR B? That's a great question. I think it really comes back to before you even start shopping, you got to look at your organization and how it operates and develop a list of business requirements. So you need to start working on establishing those first. So I'll give you examples from both organizations that I've been a part of. With the state of California, for example, we had to document that medications were administered to our patients whether it be a 30-day supply that the patient would take on their own, you still had to document that a bottle was given to that patient with the 30-day supply of medication, or if you were giving one dose at a time, similar to that of a skilled nursing facility, you had to document medication administration in all instances. And if you have that as one of your most important of your 1,070 business requirements that were um, slated for the state of California's EHR project, you're going to end up realizing quickly that there's not an ambulatory system out there that will meet that requirement. And then you have to start looking at the inpatient arena and determining which inpatient system am I going to have to modify to then fit the needs of this business requirement, which is core to how the state of California administers healthcare in this setting. The other example I'm going to give you is um, with Ultimate Health Services. There was a need for an integrated dental system, and there was also a need for a revenue cycle, which would work for federally qualified health centers. And in both instances, if you consider these two business requirements, Epic had the integrated um, dental solution that was uh, wisdom, that was ready, and ready to roll out and had already been implemented. For a revenue cycle perspective, Epic already had 
experience with multiple other federally qualified health centers. So you never want to be the guinea pig that beta tests a module for the vendor. And so I think that in definitely increased the comfort level for this organization and um, leaning toward uh, Epic. I think there's a certain amount of baseline work that has to be done and put in place or otherwise it, changing your EMR is just going to highlight some of your deficiencies. So if you don't have good master provider management and patient indexes, if you don't have a vendor that you're comfortable with on the medication database side, you're just going to have more difficulty with your implementation. How much work did you do around those items or is it just you take what you got at the time and you roll with it? Well, so you have to recognize that as an issue. Your data is only going to be as good as what you put into it. And a frequent complaint um, with our organization was that the data in our legacy system was flawed. You're incorporating data from outside sources, health plans, etc., and you're going to need to figure out a way of recognizing each of these unique patients and making sure that with the new system, as you're working on implementation, that you're going to improve upon how these patients are recognized, how they're filed, so that test results will file accordingly, so that your patient panels are in place. And unfortunately, it's not something that you may not have the luxury of having in place from kickoff of the implementation project. It may be something that you recognize and you actively try to improve along with the implementation, which is what uh, happened with in our instance as well. So I want to touch on two different areas of this pre-implementation phase here. So demos. The, the demos done by the vendors are going to be incredibly impressive and make it look so easy to get the data in and then they show you wonderful graphs about the data coming out. I've always found that a scripted demo, something where we say, okay, we want to see the functionality of how a med reconciliation is done, of how uh, an order is placed for a complex order, and forcing the, an apples-to-apples -apples comparison if you're going to do a head-to-head -head for, for the different vendors. What have you found to be effective when you truly, truly haven't decided on your EMR and you're, and you're going back and forth between two? Uh, hopefully you've narrowed it down to two or three different vendors. There are other ways to compare the demos. You're also going to be asking how much of it is in production versus a theoretical build or a test build that they're rolling out to you and demoing. You're also going to be looking at or more focused on usability or asking them to demo more complicated patients. Generally, demos are looking at a patient with one chief complaint or one chronic medical problem in which the quick visit or the express line is going to just solve everything for your ills and you're going to be able to get through that visit in an amazing two-minute time period. So what about asking the higher level questions about, well, generally that may happen, but what happens when I get a patient with heart failure and end-stage liver disease and coronary artery disease who now comes in with an extremely sore throat 
can I use that quick visitor express lane for that? Or how do I go about addressing this and accommodating for and being able to care for the patient with these additional conditions? The demos that I've seen, they're showing the, the express lane as an example on the 12 year old with no other medical problems, no allergies and nothing else on their problem list. Yeah, that visit flies, of course it does. But you're right, it's, that's not our life most of the time. It's usually the more complicated cases that we're dealing with. So I think your points are, are spot on. You gotta script this or at least be able to make the vendor squirm a little and, yeah. and, and get into some functionality that uh, is more complicated. Mark, I think the other uh, I think the other thing you ask organizations is to provide a demo of how easy is it to reconcile or communicate information from one healthcare system to another, whether it be Epic to Cerner or Epic to Allscripts or whatever it may be, or within care quality organizations or care quality to Commonwealth or vice versa. And when you start looking at that, because you may have a short-term goal of just crossing the finish line and implementing because that's one year, one and a half years away. But really, not long after that, people are going to be clamoring for, well, I need, to, I need that discharge summary from that Cerner hospital. And you're an Epic org. How are you going to get that discharge summary across? And so have that implementation um, at, or having a focus on that as part of your implementation efforts is to... Um, interoperability would be pretty important as well. Good point. So let's talk about governance. Who gets to make the decision? Is it everyone gets a vote, everyone's vote is equal, the CMIO always gets to vote twice just because we're special. Um, no, I'm teasing. But, or, or is it really just the CIO and CEO sitting down at dinner one night going, all right, we think this one's the right one. In your opinion, What's the best way to do it? And then we'll talk about how we think it probably really does happen. Yeah, I mean, it it's sometimes seems like it's the latter scenario in which you don't know who made the decision behind it. And that's pretty amusing and unfortunately uh, sarcastic, I guess, in terms of thinking about it that way. So what I would think is a better way or an effective way to do this is to comprise a committee or a work group in which you have key leaders from the different entities or the different areas of the, um, or departments in which uh, would be adversely affected or your stakeholder groups. I also am a strong proponent of the, the Jeff Bezos uh, two pizza box rule. If, if you can't feed everyone in the room with two pizzas, then you probably got too many people in the room. I would lean more toward a, maybe an eight to 10 person group of folks that are knowledgeable in the system and knowledgeable of the compliance and the regulatory requirements and, and is interdisciplinary, of course, and which you get to discuss requests for changes in the system or key implementation decisions that need to be made. And then this is something that you would want to continue beyond your go live as it transitions. So it's a little bit of a smooth process going beyond go live as, as you enter stabilization and then optimization. I think the reality is that this is such a complicated decision to make and the ability to get all end users to a level of knowledge to be able to make this decision is impossible. Right. And so 
I think taking a vote from the larger community, let's say you're a hospital system of 3,000, 8,000, 15,000 people. I think it's great to get the feedback, but the feedback that I'm seeing that's being obtained is, can, is there something that you saw that would make it so that you wouldn't use the system? It's not pick the best one. It's, is this a deal breaker for you if we go with A, B, or C? And that initial decision may very well be, be based on finances. So look, if you've got a limited budget, you're probably not going with Epic. You're probably going with Meditech if, if you're looking for that more cost-effective solution. Understanding that you may lose some functionality and then you're gonna make a decision, can you live with that or not? And that's what I think they're looking for. I really think a lot of these decisions are being made by a very small core group of people who have deep level of knowledge about interoperability, about data warehousing, about the roadmap of that company, about is it going to be there for us in five to ten years, or are we going to have to switch because they go out of business or get bought. Those are all factors that play in that I don't think the average doctor knows about, nor do they care about. I think we'll get the feedback from the providers on the functionality, but the real question is, are they going to scream if this is, gets implemented? That's what I, in my opinion, I'm a little more cynical, but that's me. Yeah. <laughs> right, you're gonna have providers that are gonna scream, they're gonna scream regardless, because they just don't wanna change, or they're happy with whatever system they're currently using, or they're happy with paper. And so, yeah, it's, it, it is interesting, I think. There will people, yeah, people will always scream for the sake of screaming, and then there will be those that, that scream that raise valid concerns, and how to filter out that noise and be able to listen to those that really need to be listened to is a, I guess it's a skill um, that is valuable to have in your skill set. So what I thought is that the days of failed EMR implementations are kind of a thing of the past. You heard about 2003, 2004, there were people uninstalling EMR, CEOs losing jobs. But I think as the role of CMIOs have grown, they were put in place to prevent that kind of situation. And provider informaticists have come up as a specialty. And I think nursing informatics is more advanced for sure. And pharmacy informatics, I think it should be pretty rare that there are failures these days. But then you hear about in the Bahamas, they went live with all scripts. And that sounds like it's going to be a failed EMR. They're talking about breach of contract and things like that. So I thought we were past all that, but perhaps not. And maybe that's more about the project kickoff and expectations. So let's jump to that area. What does it take? You've made your decision and you've picked your vendor. Go from there. What's next? Well, I think a lot of that, uh, the next steps are on your project staff, really, I think there's conversations that you need to be having with um, that staff as well, because uh, you want to have some uh, influence and obviously you want to have a, an understanding of the process and the timelines and expectations. There has to be a, char a project charter that's developed. You need to have, you need to plan the timeline and settle on a go live date, which generally will be announced at the kickoff. Budget is also something that you're going to have to make sure you keep eyes on. And I think when people ask for additional 
interfaces or applications and start trying to gold plate on and do scope creep, that's where your budget really needs really needs to be adhered to if you want to be successful. I think recruiting from an IT perspective and landing the right team in terms of analysts is extremely important. No matter which vendor you go with, you're expected to have a certain number of IT analysts that will be working on the, the implementation components and meeting with your organization stakeholders. So you need to be able to recruit and land that quickly. If you're not able to recruit, you're going to be looking at consulting services so that you can get the staff to add uh, appropriately and, and get going. Um, yeah, these things aren't just take out the floppy disk, stick it into the disk drive and download it and plug and play and off you go. There's a significant right. amount of work that gets done here. Exactly. I, I, you mentioned something I thought was really important. Let's talk about scope because I'm a doctor out in the clinic and I've got a pet project and I see a golden opportunity to sneak my pet project in as we're going to go live with this EMR so I can get what I want that probably was getting glossed over previously. Uh, how do you keep the reins on that? Yeah, that, that happens no matter where you go. And I think um, people will look at the EHR implementation as an opportunity to get that one thing that's really plagued them or bothered them to be incorporated and built and accounted for with the system. I, I try to look at it from several perspectives. One is, does this meet a regulatory or a compliance type of requirement that you must have in place from day one of your go live? The second thing I look at is that a policy or procedure that's currently active, or if it is, something that needs to be built to be compliant with the policy procedure if it's outdated or you feel like it's anachronistic and really needs to be modified, then you're really going after the policy procedure to change it so that you're setting the organization up for success to be compliant with policy and procedure from day one of the implementation. And then the last lens you look at it is really, you don't wanna go backwards with the EHR implementation. So you wanna look at what your current functionality is with your EHR system and make sure you're really not going backwards and that you have at least equivalent functionality. And if you get a step up or two in terms of functionality that's really just coming standard with the system, that's gravy, especially a strict timeline scope of an EHR implementation. I struggle with this one this because IT generally is going to say, hey, we want the simplest parts to go live and then, oh yeah, we'll get back to all the enhanced functionality. Let's just go live with the basic whatever we get out of the box. And I think it adds to provider frustration. But absolutely, you're going to do the regulatory things. But if that's all that you, that's going on, I think you have to give some wins to some of the providers that have important projects out there so that you have people out there who are going to give you that goodwill and that positive uh, voice in the provider community. If all you're doing is regulatory and meeting whatever meaningful use says you have to do, I think providers get frustrated. But that's my take. And I, I know my CIOs out there are going to say, look, there's a huge price tag to this. We've got timelines. 
you don't get to get that fancy just implement the thing what do you think yeah no i totally agree with you there i think you also have to look at it from the lens of if the proposed EHR solution is really just not usable or the workflow is not in a way that would seem intuitive from a usability standpoint, you, you could potentially impact patient safety as well. So you really have to look at it carefully with as unbiased a lens as you can in terms of trying to do right by your providers that you're espousing and also reach a compromise with that CIO and other leaders um, that may not understand that from a clinical usability standpoint, that if it's not working very well, that you're going to have to do a little bit of work to make it more usable. Um, but it will pay dividends in terms of decreased noise or decreased adverse events after a go live. I would say that is specifically the job of the provider informaticist to deliver. So let's talk about subject matter experts, if we could, for a second, because there's a lot of focus on IT, on let's build up our analyst core. That's where they're really trying to get that build to happen, so they need that skill set there. But at the same time, isn't there operational requirements to get people up to speed so that they can help guide the build? Talk to me about subject matter experts. Yes, that's always been a struggle, and I, I think it will always be a struggle no matter where you are. Generally, your subject matter experts that are out there already have a job in which they're working 100%. It's going to be hard to carve out and tell them, well, guess what? Now you've got to devote 30 40% of your time or cram it into the 100% work expectation that you currently have but you're gonna to have to carve out some time for this new effort with the EHR implementation. And I think that's always been the struggle in terms of defining FTEs, where are you gonna get them from? Are you gonna create or backfill that current SME so that they are able to participate and lend valuable input? And that's a financial battle that you typically end up having to wage with executive leadership because that's generally not recognized as far as I know. I don't know if you have seen that being recognized, Mark. I have seen payments being made, particularly when they want the input of a non-employed physician. Employed physicians, they can kind of play around with their schedule and give them some time in their schedule and, and keep them financially whole. But if you've got a really important orthopedics group that you know you need to keep happy and they're not employed, it may be worth the dollars upfront to get a representative from that group to be deeply engaged and it, it pays off. It absolutely is money well spent. And I think most systems are learning that. I totally agree with you there. I couldn't agree with you more. I think it's, and it's, it, as a whole, I think it's pretty difficult to find SMEs that are articulate, communicate well, and work well with analysts that are able to ask the right questions and drive the conversation so that you're not circling around several times trying to get answers to the questions that need to be uh, answered. I think as a provider informaticist and even as a CMIO, that's where you really have to be mindful and um, aware of all the different groups or work groups and relationships that are going on. And if you have to forcibly interject yourself to make sure that the questions are getting answered or there are deliverables that are being um, submitted 
so that the project can proceed along on time. Eric, as we are coming up on 30 minutes here, why don't we take a break, pick it up next week. So come on back and we'll continue on with the EMR implementation series with Dr. Eric Lee. Thank you for listening to CMIO Podcast. I've been your host, Dr. Mark Weissman. You can reach out to me on LinkedIn or email me at cmiopodcast at gmail.com or go to the website at cmiopodcast.com. Send me your ideas for shows, guests you'd like to hear from, general feedback, or just to connect. And I look forward to bringing you our next episode. Music.